All right, guys, here we are. Welcome. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Beth. I'm the pastor at Clarksburg Church. I'm so glad that you're here. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Ephesians. We're on the book of Ephesians, and we've actually, um, I think it's been six weeks, and we're like, we covered three chapters. So we're not at a snail pace. Like, I've gone through this book slower than this. I've also gone through this book faster than this. Um, but the reality is, is like, this is my favorite book of the letter that Paul writes. And so I just, like, I'm, I'm loving Ephesians, right? Um, and so uh, we have covered the first three chapters. And if you've been journeying with us, you know that in these first three chapters, like, Paul has sort of layered and layered and layered this understanding of the gospel. He's kind of created this entire structure, brick by brick by brick, of what the good news of Jesus is. And he's talked about all of those different things of, of what the gospel looks like and how it works um, for us and how Christ has offered this for us. And then Paul has even sort of prayed. He said, listen, I'm hoping that you just don't know intellectually about the gospel that is this house, but I want you to really experience it. I want you to taste it like, and know the sweetness of it like you would taste honey. I want you to sense it, right? And then we get to chapter 4. And Paul and his entire level letter sort of hinges. It, it takes a little bit of a different turn and a little bit of a different twist. It's like he uh, has built this structure that is the gospel. And then in the beginning of chapter four, he opens the door and he says, now I want you to come on in. And I want you to see what it looks like to live out this gospel. I want you to see what it feels like. I want you to really see how do the people dwell inside of this gospel house. And that is really what Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are all about. And so we're going to talk about that. How do people live inside of the gospel? We've talked about the unifying nature of this family, that we're alive in Christ. But, but what does that mean? How do we actually walk this out? Now, as we read it, remember that Paul is speaking to the whole church. He's not, even though when we read it in our uh, normally individualistic society, like we read it as if Paul is talking to me, Beth, as an individual. But when Paul is writing this, he's actually talking to a you all. He's using the plural you. He's talking to the whole church. And so in order to like overcome our natural mindset of the individualistic nature that we read this, we're going to like shift it a little bit and I'm going to use instead of you, I'm going to use the southern word y'all, okay, to help us understand this is about all of us. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul says this, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. So as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge y'all, I urge y'all to live a life worthy of the calling that y'all, uh, did you hear my, I slipped right in that, I saw the draw. Uh, <laughs> I urge y'all to live a life worthy of the calling that y'all have received, <laughs> okay? I, you need to live a life. Paul is saying, listen, I'm locked up in prison. Like I'm here, I can't be out there, but you all, y'all are out there and you need to live this thing out. Don't lock yourself up and hide yourself in one place or whatever. You need to get moving on living in this. Don't sit yourself out. There is a great calling that you have to live inside this gospel house. Remember, you're a Christian. 
You've put your trust in Christ. And because of that, you're alive in Christ. You're no longer the walking dead, right? You are alive in Christ. You have the power of the resurrection dwelling inside of you. So don't just like sit on the sidelines. There are big deals. There's big things happening here. And then Paul continues with his instructions. This is what it means to like live a life that's worthy of the calling. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He says, as y'all are living this whole thing together, living in this gospel house, make sure that you're doing it with humility and discipline. Don't just do it in starts and fits. But be steady. Pour yourselves into one another with acts of love. Be quick about noticing differences between you and the family, but then be quick to mend the fences. And then Paul continues in verse 4. He says, there's one body. Like, listen, this is why that unity piece is so important. There's one body. There's one spirit. Just as y'all were called to one hope when y'all were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so Paul's making this big deal. Like, listen, there's not like this church over here and that church over here. We may have different congregations that are ministering and being missional in different communities, but ultimately, y'all are one. You got the same God. And so you need to figure out how to get along. You need to figure out how to love one another and be humble and disciplined. That oneness of the Father needs to permeate everything that we do. All right, so then here's the question. Paul says, you've got Christ dwelling in you, and so now you're going to live as people that have Christ dwelling out you, in you. You're going to reflect the oneness of God because Christ is in you, so you're going to be one, right? We get this? We get this? Why is it so hard for us to do this? Like, right, aren't we, like, we don't do this well, Right, like as a church, we, I mean, even as a congregation, but as a bigger church, like we don't treat each other like we're all one big happy family. I don't know that we go to one another in humility and discipline and pouring out love for one another. Like I don't, I, I don't know that we always do this really well. And so the question becomes like, well, aren't we alive in Christ? Like Paul said that we have the power of the risen, resurrected Christ dwelling in us. So why, why don't we do this? Aren't we a new creation? Why can't, why do we have a hard time doing this? And here's what Paul would say. Paul would say that even though you have the life of Christ dwelling in you and that Christ has resurrected you and Christ has made you alive, you, we, Y'all are living in spiritual immaturity. He's saying we are all living in spiritual immaturity until we do the hard work of creating and developing unity within the church. And in this passage that we're going to look at, the beginning of chapter 4, we are actually um, going, Paul is going to walk us through what does that look like. And Paul starts with this premise in the back of his mind, that we are all spiritual babies. That when you first start to choose to trust Jesus and who, that he is who he said he is and he did what he said he was going to do, you become alive, right? You are filled with the power of the resurrection. But we all start 
as spiritual babies. Like, think about this for a second. When a baby is born into this world, that baby is alive, right? It's alive. And it is no more or less alive than it is or was or will be when it's 30 years old. That baby is absolutely alive. But that baby's got a lot of growing to do, right? And, and the thing is, is that that is one of the things that babies do. They grow, and they grow really, really fast. In fact, my daughter, we were at um, uh, an event for uh, her elementary school on Friday night, and her teacher had been out on maternity leave at the beginning of the year. And she had heard that her teacher was going to be at this event with her baby. And so she was so excited. So she ran up to me from across the field. She goes, Mom, 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 my teacher's here. You've got to come and see her and the baby. And I'm like, newborn baby, that's great. And so we're walking across the field, and I see that there is this little baby that is walking towards her mama. And I'm like, that's, that's not the new baby. And she's like, no, 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 that's the new baby. And I'm like, mm -mm, that's not the new baby because that baby was born in like November. Like that is not the new baby, right? Uh, and sure enough, she just, I, I told her, I said, listen, babies grow fast. They don't grow that fast. Like they're not walking after three months of getting out of there, but they do grow really, really, really fast. If a baby is healthy and the baby's getting what it needs, it will grow faster in those first couple years than it ever will again in its life. And being a baby, it's not something we feel bad about. Being a spiritual baby is not something to feel bad about. It's actually a good thing. It means that you were born, like you're alive. We want to celebrate that. We want to have birthday parties about that. It's something to be excited about. But to stay an infant for the rest of your life is a horrible, terrible thing. I wish that on no parent or infant. The infant is super cute to hold, but they can't really do much, right? There are three things um, that really mark infants, both physical infants, but also spiritual infants, um, that, that I want to like just point out here, that make it really hard uh, for somebody who's going to stay an infant for the rest of their life. The first thing uh, that is a mark of a spiritual baby, as well as a physical baby, is that they're not very discerning, right? Uh, you put good food in front of a baby, and they'll eat it, you, you put bad food in front of an infant, and they'll eat it. And you put poison in front of an infant, and they will equally stick it in their mouth and devour it, right? Uh, I read somewhere that, like, uh, toddlers don't develop a sense of smelling as if something's disgusting until they're four, which is why you have, like, babies putting stuff in their mouth, and they're like, oh, earwax, that's great, right? They don't know. They don't have an understanding of what is disgusting yet. And so the same is true with our spiritual beings. Um, we oftentimes, when we are spiritual infants, we are blown here and there by every teaching that we come across. Um, there was a, a gentleman who uh, became a believer and started coming to this church, and he was eager to grow in his faith. Like, he was consuming everything. He wanted to learn all that he could about his faith and trusting in God. And I remember he came to me one time, and he was like, Beth, Beth, we ha I need to talk about some, some theology and some spiritual things. And I said, great, great, great. He starts talking about this stuff. And I'm like, dude, where'd you, where'd you hear that? And he goes, I was watching YouTube. And, like, it showed me video after video after video of, like, this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, stop watching YouTube. Like, right? 
Some of that stuff that's poison, like that's not good spiritual food. Don't, don't eat that, right? And so I had to hook him up with somebody else who was a mature believer and begin to be like, hey, can you come alongside this new believer? Help him understand what is good to eat and what's not eat. To help him understand what is wise, how to know scripture, how to read it, right? So one of the things about spiritual infants, they're not discerning. The other thing about spiritual infants is they're totally self-centered, right? 100% the world is all about them. They aren't humble or patient or loving. No, they want what they want when they want it. And as they grow, they actually have to be taught like that there are other people in the world. Does anybody have a memory of like when they realized there were other people in the world? Does anybody have that? I have that memory. I was in a grocery cart. I think I was like five and I turned to my mom and I was like, Mom, there are other people in the world with their own lives. And they, like, have different experiences than I do, right? This existential moment when I was five, right? You actually have to teach a kid. Like, there are other people in the world. And you have to teach them what it looks like to take care of them and to serve them and not hurt them. But babies, they're super self-centered, right? They're always getting their feelings hurt. Everything has to be about them, and they get upset when they aren't treated the way they want to be treated. The smallest scraped knee, and they fall apart, and they have like a tirade. They can't take any correction. They can't admit that they're wrong. But a mature believer, a mature believer is not self-centered. They serve others, and they're quick to admit when they're wrong. They aren't self-conscious. They don't get their feelings hurt easily. The other thing that is a mark, a third mark of a spiritual uh, a, a, uh, immature ba- or spiritual baby is that they have really short attention spans, okay? They're easily tossed back and forth by one thing and another. They want, if you want to get them to pay attention to anything, you need a lot of sound, you need flashy lights, it needs to be sparkly and move quickly, uh, they need to be entertained, right? They hear a conviction from God, but they don't follow through because it didn't hold their attention long enough. They're always looking for God to do the spectacular because they haven't learned the obedience of the beauty of the long obedience in the same direction. They have a lot of trouble with object permanence, right? They always need God to prove himself in big ways because they haven't learned to see God in the silence and in the ordinary. But a mature believer is steady. They're long-suffering. They continue to be faithful even when things don't go their way. Now, here's the deal. As I start to flesh out that list of like spiritual immaturity, um, I see myself popping up there like a lot, like a lot, a lot. And uh, I'm convicted that maybe I'm not as spiritually mature as, as I thought I was. Maybe this message isn't about all those other people out there who are new believers, but maybe it's about me. And when Paul talks about spiritual immaturity, he lumps himself into it too. And so here's the deal. If Paul, like this figurehead of the faith, calls himself like, hey, we are spiritually immature, the reality is is probably every single one of us in this room could find a place in our lives where we see ourselves on that list and we're like, yeah, I I do struggle with that. that. That is really, really hard. Chances are this list in some way describes you also. And if we can all see ourselves on this list, there's two things that are probably true about our, con- our congregation that need to be held in tension. The first thing 
is that we've got a lot of poopy diapers going on. If we are all spiritual babies, we make a lot of poop. We mess up a lot, and we don't do what it is that we're supposed to do. And so here's what I want to tell you. We need to stop being shocked by the immaturity of other believers. Not that we just say, oh, you have a past, you're immature, but we need to stop being so offended by it. We know that people in our congregation are new believers. We know that people in our congregation are spiritually immature babies, and they're going to poop their pants. And so we've got to stop being so surprised by their bad theology. And we've got to be stopped being so surprised by the fact that they were mean or they left us out and they were thoughtless. Remember, you're not invited into this family because you're good or you're moral or you're nice. It's not any of those things. You're invited into this family as a part of grace. It's a gift. And so there's no expectations that any one of us like has entered into this family as a fully formed, like mature follower of Jesus. There instead is an expectation that you are spiritually an immature baby and you're going to poop your pants a little bit and it's going to get a little messy, right? Do you guys get that? Do you see how that changes our understanding of how we treat and view one another? Okay, but we have to hold that intention. Because that is true of how we understand what's happening around us. But we also have to do this. We also, we also must hold it in tension with this. That even though we need to have grace for others' poopy diapers, we do not put up with our own spiritual immaturity. We cannot settle and be like, well, I just, I just made a diaper mess. Oops, no. We can't settle for that. We got to get potty trained, Right? We need to look at ourselves and we need to say, listen, I need to grow up and I'm going to do the work to make it happen. If you kind of can look back um, to when you became a follower, or maybe even for some of you it was years ago, and so maybe for you it just needs to be like, can I look back to last year? And if you look back and you say, and you ask yourself, have I grown? Have I become more humble? Have I become united with others? Am I, uh, am I growing in my faith? And your answer is, no, nah, I really haven't changed much. Nothing's really happening. Then we need to ask ourselves a couple more questions to wonder why. Because what babies do is they grow. And if a baby's not growing, there's something wrong. And so if you're not growing, there's something wrong. Maybe it's that you aren't getting enough food of Scripture. Maybe you're not eating the word of God enough. Maybe you're not resting enough in the spiritual presence of God through prayer. Maybe you're not getting enough spiritual exercise through activating generosity and hospitality. Don't you know that the power of the resurrected Lord is in you? And whatever your poopy mess is, like that power is greater than the one that you are making. But the reality is is that you can't just do that on your own. Paul would say, um, you have to be a part of the body of Christ in order to grow. In order to be a part of spiritual maturity and grow, you've got to be in these deep, unifying relationships in the church community. And this is how Paul talks about it. He says this in verse 7. 
He goes, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, that sounds like a lot of words, but there's a really specific thing that Paul's talking about here. He's telling us that God's grace, like, yes, we've fallen short, and yes, we're spiritual babies, but the way that we are going to grow up and mature is by the gifts that Jesus has given us. He's given us these different gifts. He's given us the gift of apostleship, being apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And that when we're all using these gifts together, we can grow up as the body of Christ. That when we're using them, we can become fully mature. Now, in the original language where it says become mature, it actually isn't talking about like I become mature and you become mature and you become mature. Instead, what Paul says is like we will literally become the mature man. We will re- literally become the mature body, which is, a, which is an image that alludes to Jesus. Together, we mature and we reflect Christ. Together we do that. Ultimately, what we're being called to become is a mature whole unit. And this is why dropping in and out of church or hopping church to church to church like doesn't help us grow. We have to be like in. We have to be in these deep relationships in. We need all of these different pieces and all of these different gifts working together in close unity so that we can become a mature unit. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about um, these gifts that Paul talks about. He, he lists five different gifts, and, and sometimes these gifts are talked about in a particular way um, where, uh, where they, they, they get talked about and we kind of think like, oh, that's the pastor. That's the pastor. The pastor has those gifts. If you have those gifts, then you become a pastor. And like, here's what I want to say. I got all these gifts. Um, I, the pastor, doesn't make up the unity of the body. That's not how this works. Instead, every one of us in this room, every one that is a part of God's community of believers has been given some of these gifts. There's, we're all supposed to be like doing and trying all of them, right? Uh, Christ perfected these. Christ was good at all of them. But every single one of us in this room, we have talents in one of these or two of these areas where we're really stellar at. And when you don't operate in your gifts, when you don't bring those gifts into the body of Christ and what we're doing, then the body suffers. We're not mature. We can't function as we're supposed to function. So we're going to talk about what these are. So first, the apostle. Now, a lot of times, like, we think apostle, that's the apostle Paul. Like, that's the 12 disciples. Here's the thing. He's using this as, a, like, a, like a, a jaring, like a noun adjective, right? Uh, somebody who actually knows grammar is going to be like, mm that's not right. Uh, but he's using it as bigger than just, like, the 12 apostles. What he's talking about here is he's, also, he's talking about the people who are forward-thinking, The people who are like pioneering, they're always thinking about new ground to take. They're people who have this natural entrepreneurial gift, not necessarily to make businesses, but they imagine the church in new places, doing new things in new ways for new people. They're always like, oh, this is where we are. Well, we should be over here. 
Like, they're like, oh, we have this kind of ministry. Well, let's start this kind of ministry too, right? They're always like, like this arrow shows. They're always like, let's go, let's take the hill. And sometimes, uh, well, we'll talk about the deficit of that in a second, right? Uh, right now, we just want to talk about all the positives, right? So the apostle is like forward thinking. And then he talks about the prophet. The prophet is someone who pays, uh, who has this deep connection with God, where there's sort of this, I mean, we all have a deep connection with God, but they're paying attention to lots of spiritual things that are happening. They have this burning fire inside of them that like burns passionately for God's truth and God's justice. And when they notice that the church has gone off in a different direction, it is like their whole body is consumed by fire. And they're like, this is not what we're supposed to do. We have to go back. We need to reconnect. We need to be in prayer, right? Those are people who are highly sensitive to the movements of God and what he's talking about. Then there's the evangelist, right? Again, we all have all of these, right? But there are some people that are particularly gifted in these areas. Then there's the evangelist, and we kind of have to set aside the idea of the street evangelist, like standing on a milk crate, like yelling, you're going to hell. That's not who we're talking about, right? The evangelist is this particular gift that wants to make the circle of God larger. They want to invite more people in, and it's not necessarily like, come to church, come to church, come to church. It's like, hey, there is a nursery plaything happening at my church. Do you want to come meet some people? They're the people who are like, hey, I'm having a barbecue and I'm meant to only invite five, but I accidentally invited 15, right? Because they are just the storytellers. They want people to be included. They want people to be a part of this whole thing. Now, here's the deal. These three gifts, often called ape, A-P-E, this ape gift, people who have those, they're oftentimes thought of as the gifts that are on the forefront of moving the church out, right? You can see that. They're moving them ahead. They're kind of like, what is God telling us? They're like, hey, come be a part. Do this thing, right? So there are oftentimes the gifts that are at the forefront of the church moving out. Uh, and, uh, and then there are two other gifts that are oftentimes used within the congregation or within the church, and that is the S and the T, the shepherd and the teacher. Now, the shepherd, as you can imagine, cares a lot about the flock. They're the ones that are like, who is hurting? Who needs a meal? Who is not getting included? Who's not being cared for? Their heart is breaking when somebody is suffering, and they do everything they can to try to like bring people that are here, like make sure they're cared for, and they're loved, and, and they're known, right? Those are our shepherds. And we've got our teachers. Now, again, misnomer, you may think that teacher is doing this. This is not necessarily teaching. Um, I know that it looks like teaching, but what the teachers are actually doing is that they're setting up systems. They deal with structures within the organization. They're sort of helping the church body sustain itself. They're discipling people and walking them through. This is step one, and this is step two, and this is step three. Now let's go back to the beginning. This is step one. They're like the coaches and, and, um, and, and the mentors that are sort of helping work with people. So it doesn't necessarily mean stage teaching. It means like working side by side people to help them get where it is that they're going. Now, so what Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, listen, these are the five functions of ministry that Jesus so beautifully gifted the church so that we can grow up and be a mature, unified body. And a body of believers has 
all of them, as all of them, right? And we need all of them. So let's think for a second. What do you think happens in the body of believers when there's an A, but we don't have a T? So we have an apostle that's thinking, let's take the hill. And then we don't have a teacher that is like, hey, let me talk to you how this goes and let's create a system and a process to make this work. I'm sorry, what happens when we have those relationships together? When they are in relationship and they're working together, what happens is stability, right? We have somebody that's saying, let's move forward, and we have somebody that's behind them saying, great, take that hill, let me connect the dots to make sure that there's a structure that works inside of this, so as we take that hill, we don't implode, right? What happens when there is an evangelist and a shepherd that come together in tight relationship? where they're working together. Growth, right? You've got an evangelist who's inviting all the people to come in, but they're continuously thinking about new people coming in, but the shepherd is there to catch them and say like, hey, let me love on you. Let me care for you. What do you need? How can I help? Right? And do you know what happens when P, the prophet, has relationships with all of these? Accountability. So that at every stage, however anybody's working, there's the prophet saying, like, okay, let's also pay attention to God. Like, what is God telling us about this? Like, let's, let's spend a little more time in prayer. So what I want you to do, like, all of these are awesome. All of these are necessary and important. So what I want us to do for just a second is I want you to reflect. If you can, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to name one or two of these things that you most relate to. And if you're like, I don't know which one I most relate to, but I definitely am not that one, okay? Sometimes that's the easiest place to start. But turn to somebody next to you, make sure that we are a body and everyone has somebody to talk to, but which ones do you most relate to um, out of these five? Ready? Go ahead.
All right. I'm going to give you 10 more seconds to finish whatever thought you had. All right, so we're just going to take a quick inventory, all right? So if you uh, identified the most with the apostleship gift, going forward, taking charge, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, yes, high fives, high fives, okay? If, you, um, if anybody was like, that is not me, raise your hand. If that was the one you were like, that's not. Okay, okay. We have more not me's than me's. But we, we got to talk. Okay. So uh, if you identified most with the prophet, the one who like burns when something is not right, where there's an injustice happening. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm like making like mental snapshots. Like, okay, those are our prophets. All right, great. Um, if you, and you can identify with more than one. If there were like two, you can raise your hand twice. That's fine. Um, what about evangelists? You were like, I want to bring people in. I want to invite more people around the table. Okay, awesome. Cool. All right, good. Um, what about a teacher? Teacher, you are one-on-one -on -one working with people, developing. Oh, so good. Those are really, really important, especially because I'm just not that. I mean, I know that, like, I stand up here and I do it, but in terms of, like, the one, not me. So, yay, teachers, we need you. Um, okay, what about shepherds? I love you too. You are beautiful to me. Okay, good. Okay, awesome. Okay, good. So here's the deal. Oftentimes what happens is we get church communities or congregations that value a couple of these. And we get church congregations that like love the ape gifts and they love the like prophetess and the moving forward and taking spaces and all this stuff. But then people get into the, the community and then they're like, but nobody's here to teach me anything. Nobody's here to take care of me. I'll just go find somewhere else, right? And that is a problem, right? Then we, we, we deal with abandonment in our congregations. Sometimes the total opposite happens. Because they've experienced that, they're like, okay, we're just going to hold back on those, and we're just going to like draw the lines, and we're just going to shepherd people and teach people. This is oftentimes um, the most common form of how these get like misaligned, right? There's a congregation, and they say, we're just, let's just take care of our people. We're going to teach our people. We're not really going to worry about what's happening outside of the walls of our church. We're really just going to focus right in here. And the problem with that is that things become stagnant, right? It just kind of becomes these dead spaces where we only care about me and mine. And we forget about the mission of God to go into all of the world to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, right? And so we really have to have both of these things. Now, another thing that I just want to mention is when we fall short of this prophet gift, because I really want to highlight that. When we fall short of this prophet gift, oftentimes prophets are silenced because people are like, well, they're weird. I don't know what to do with them. And so oftentimes the prophets get silenced. And what happens when that happens is that we run into issues of corruption in the church. We run into issues where like we get so, we lose sight of what it is that God is calling us to. That we just like start doing our own thing and we don't have that check and balance of the prophet. And unless we have activated and engaged all of these gifts, all of these people are working with each other and rubbing up against one another as spiritually immature babies, it's only when we start doing that 
that we actually learn some maturity, right? The, the apostle learns to slow down a little bit and take care of the people from the shepherd. The shepherd taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, hey, we got, we got some people that are hurt back here. Can we just, like, take a day, right? That's causing tension, but that's building maturity. That unless we have people that are like, hey, 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 there's, there's new people coming in here. Teacher, I need you to help out and make sure that these new people understand what it is we're doing. They need to be grown and they need to be strengthened, right? If there's no evangelist bringing new people in, then the teacher just keeps being like, let's all just keep uh, eating the same word of God and getting fat and happy without actually bringing the word to others and sharing what it is that we've learned. Right? We need these things. We need these things in order to, so that we can grow up into spiritual maturity and in order to do what God has called us to do. Paul says that when we start using these gifts, that then, he says in chapter 14, he says that then, no longer will we be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. This doesn't really give us a blank che check to sort of say, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just this, and so I'm not going to do any of those other things. Instead, what Paul is saying is like, listen, no, we need to be working on this together. We need to be living this out together. And so Paul continues. He says, instead, what I need you to do, instead of being infants that are just tossed back and forth, what I need you to do is use your gifts and speak the truth in love so that we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, the one mature man, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. The contrast to being spiritually immature is this idea of speaking the truth in love. That when we begin to live in this community and we see like, hey, we got people that are hurt here. Apostle, can you slow down? We begin to speak the truth in love to one another. And the life of the Trinity is reflected in the life of this community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just as they are one, we begin to operate as one. We don't grow up unless we begin to be plunged into this community of absolute honesty, but saturated in sweetness, that there is this balance of both truth and love. But the reality is, is that none of us can keep that together all the time because we're broken. Really, the only one who was able to do that is Jesus when he was on the cross. We struggle with it because we want to tell the truth because we're prideful and we want to be like, listen, I've got it right. I know how this works. But we don't want to do it with love because there's something inside of us, our selfishness, that wants to put them down. We want to show them that we were right. But at the same time, if we speak truth without love, we're just concerned about ourselves. But if we love without truth, we're just being self-centered. We're, we're, we're not being mature enough to do it together. We aren't capable of doing this without the cross. Because what happens is, is that on the cross, it was the epitome of both truth and love being together. Truth was so clear because what Jesus was saying when he got on the cross was like, listen, this truth is actually so insulting. What Jesus was saying is like, nothing less than the Son of God dying for you can save you. 
but he's also showing how big his love is. I love you so much, and you are so worth and so valuable in the eyes of God that I'm willing to die for you. If you let it, it humbles us to this point where we're like, yeah, I do need other people. I need to trust the truth abrasively. I need to allow it to affirm the love that, I ha that God has for me. That when all of us sort of meet under the shadow of the cross, we sort of become this community of people which speaks the truth in love. And then we no longer are infants, but we're grown up as the body of Christ. And we need to make that happen. We need to be people who are like plunged deep into community, deep with one another, and deep into the love of Christ. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I am so grateful um, that, that you are a God who uh, has equipped us to grow up, that you don't just say, hey, you're just going to be infants, just wait till I return, uh, I'll take care of it later, but you sort of equipped us with these gifts and these talents in order to become mature believers. And Father God, I am asking that you um, would continue to speak to us. Would you begin to show us what it looks like to use our gifts to be the body of Christ? Would you allow us to become mature followers, to not be so offended, but also to not settle for where we are? And so, Father God, we ask that you would speak to us now. We ask that you would bring um, to the surface any places where we need to um, uh, mend the fences, where we need to bring unity as the body. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.